Welcome back to All Up with BMHN. This is Fi Rose, and today I am with Nazia and Tesnova. I know it's been a while, listeners. For the month of May, which was actually Mental Health Awareness Month, we decided to take a mental health break for ourselves as we were navigating our own self-care and mental health journey. But today I'm very excited. We have a special guest with us, our very own um, compliance consultant from BMHN, Saida. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Just to be very candid with our listeners, uh, what inspired me to bring on Saida to our podcast today was um, one of her posts on Instagram, and I believe it was the South Asian Therapist, correct? That is correct. It's um, a post I randomly saw, maybe because of the algorithms, I don't know, but um, it was posted by South Asian Therapists, and it really spoke to me, and they decided to repost. And I like you really spilled the tea on that or cha should I say because it was such a great like added blurb to what the post was and basically the post explained the effects of grooming on South Asian women to be good housewives growing up Um, and today that we will kind of explore that more because I think a lot of us have um, experienced some of that if not all. So I want to start by maybe explaining like the blurb you wrote, because I thought that one, it was hilarious, but also so real and so honest. If you care to explain what made you want to write that, even share that. Of course. Um, so I feel like I very rarely share these things on my Instagram. And so when I saw that post, I was like, I have so much tea to spill. I need to share this. And it was, I was just in the zone. And um, the post was about, you know, the effect of grooming South Asian girls to be good housewives. And it the whole series and I encourage listeners to check it out um it resonated I um am one of eight children and I have six brothers and one sister my sister she's the oldest so and we all grew up in New York City my you know I was born in Bangladesh and my family came to the states when I was two um and we were living we had moved around from Queens to the Bronx and that's where we all you know, grew up and it was like, I think a three or four bedroom apartment with a lot of male energy (laughs) and a lot of like relatives who, you know, lived nearby. And it's interesting because I was the one young girl of that age in my generation, in my household. And my sister, she's the oldest. So she was kind of like a second mom. Um, She would cook, try to, you know, take classes on the side for her GED. Um, eventually ended up getting married. I was maybe like five or six at the time. And yeah, it's interesting because that's what I saw growing up, mom and sister cooking and the brothers would either go to school and then have jobs at a restaurant to like help pay rent. My dad was working. Um, and then at home we'd have like family meals together and we'd watch like basketball or like wrestling and I would often join my brothers and I, I, you know, growing up, I would describe myself as a quote tomboy, right? And it was just like, I'm one of the, the boys. <laughs> and um, I remember because I was younger, I had the space and I didn't really have responsibilities then, right? Like I didn't have to go to, like I was young, like I didn't have um, 
like a job to worry about or help pay rent. So school was my space to kind of find my purpose in the world and it was just my escape, my self-worth space. So I was focused on my studies and I remember being that person all of the aunties would compare me to in terms of like, oh, she's doing so well in school, you should be like her. And it, it just kind of like perpetuates this good girl, bad girl <laughs> narrative. Um, but that was like when I was younger. So when I was getting older, reaching my teens, it was not just about the school anymore. That's not what folks would focus on. It was, oh, do you know how to make cha? Or do you, like, what, what do you know how to cook? And then I would be compared to other young girls who do know how to do these things. And it's, it's just interesting to kind of have um, navigated that because it's just like a binary, like good girl versus bad girl <laughs> narrative. And it always feels like you're never doing enough. And I, I think like I just ignored those comments growing up and was like, no, if all of the brothers are watching basketball, I'm going to go watch basketball with them. I'm not going to go to the kitchen. It doesn't make any sense. And it, in, a, in a way, it was cool because my younger brother ended up being more involved in the kitchen, probably because I <laughs> was not about to do that. And um, but as I've gotten older, and again, like I'm trying not to make generalizations, but I've like seen younger girls grow up and like just the comments um, that folks would make, what they would highlight in terms of like, oh, so-and-so knows how to, you know, sew and do these like quote domestic things. And it was a very confusing time, right? Because it always felt like you're supposed to achieve these skill sets for a purpose that's not just for you, it's like in service of others. So if the answer to the question, oh, do you know how to make cha, was no, it's like, oh no, like, that's such a simple thing. You know, what will your in-laws say? <laughs> or how will you cook for your husband? And they were said out of, I think from my memory, like, you know, joyful kind of joking around. But it's something that I think a lot of folks believed in and like that is like the gender norm that everybody was perpetuating whether they realized it or not um and then it's confusing because you're just you know a teen like why am I thinking about in-laws <laughs> like I'm just trying to pass bio so yeah that's kind of like in a nutshell or a long nutshell kind of what inspired me I just like had a lot to share and I like the, the takeaway was if you want to do these things and know how to like cook clean like the motivating factor shouldn't just be shouldn't be for other people but you know do, do you learn how to cook for yourself and then the rest will like play out so that's kind of where it all came from I want to say I do agree with that Sayeda when you're a teenager you definitely get those comments you know um can you you know can you make cha can you cook can you clean your room can you you know do household work and I resonate with that a lot because you know like you said like as a teenager you're just like well how do I you're just thinking about school how do I pass by or how do I build myself to be a suitable candidate for colleges and I've gotten similar comments growing up um not so much when I was a teenager but in my 20s especially with learning how to cook and take care of my room um I was very I was a very lazy <laughs> person in my 20s now I'm more active but back then I was just focused on school so when you're off absolutely when you're a teenager you don't think about okay why do I have to think about making food or tea or cleaning my room another comment that I got which I think often girls get is you know height and weight oh you're you're so tall you know you're gonna have a hard time finding a husband or 
oh, you know, your, you know, your skin, you have so much acne, right? Like taking care of your skin, beauty, self-care. How do you incorporate that into your life? Because if you look good for your husband, it makes the relationship better. So along with the household work and cooking, it's also how you maintain yourself. And I think a lot of it comes from Indian TV serials where <laughs> the housewife um, is always, you know, is always like well put together jewelry makeup um saris right so i think that in itself created a perception that this is how an ideal housewife should look like looks looks good knows how to cook knows how to make tea knows how to take care of the kids luckily for me i'm very grateful that i had a family who was very big on education and making career out of myself and grooming was not a priority for me and it was easy i think it was easy for me to rebel against any comments that were like oh do you know how to make tea or cook or clean i actually thought about a, a girl that i went to school with um she was 16 at that time and she was she was actually um, bengali and she she had asked me oh um are you getting any marriage proposals and i was baffled by the question i remember just being baffled i was like marriage proposals i'm only 16 and she had mentioned well, yeah well i'm you know i'm i started getting marriage proposals and i'm i'm very you know i'm i think i'm i have some leads and i i just like stood there dumbfounded because i did not have an answer that i'm like because in my mind i was like how can you think of married right now when we're not you know we're not even past high school we're not even in college we don't have a job so a lot of this is very prevalent and you know i i definitely agree with the, all that you had to say i think a big part of that post that resonated with me a lot, and I'm sure many other people is the when they use the word, um, like it, it stated, many of these young girls view their lives not as a life for themselves, but rather to become a vessel for the future family's harmony. And so, growing up, like I think a lot of us experience a lot of what we're doing, it wasn't for ourselves. Like, we, I didn't even know what autonomy honestly was until. I think I moved out at like 25. So every, everything I did was for somebody else, whether it was for my parents, my brothers, aunties, I didn't even know their names. Like even unconsciously, I think we, we live like that, given like what we wore, our hair, our makeup, whatever, who we spoke to, our friends. And that like struck such a chord with me because one, it, it made me really sad to think that like growing up that I didn't have as much autonomy as I thought I did where I was living for others. Um, but then it made me realize also like the fact that we can speak about this and have this even podcast today and hope that some people are listening and know that they weren't alone. Like none of us were alone in this process. Like, unfortunately, we all kind of experience this, but we have that self-awareness to know that now we, ha we are able to be in tune with our like choices our autonomy, our desires, like who we want to date, keeping in mind, like a lot of these, I guess what they wanted for us were, it was a very like heteronormative kind of framework. Like there was no way in their mind they would even consider you being like a queer person. So it was automatically like, you're going to find a husband. So like, there's so many layers to all of this. So that that's just you know, like I was reflecting on that. I'm like, wow, that is something else like for them to even project 
so much onto us. And these aunties too, who are, you know, identified as women, like here they are doing things that probably they did not like when growing up. I'm sure they experienced something maybe much worse. And so here we are breaking these cycles, which that to me is really inspiring. 100%. I think when that cycle gets perpetuated and you don't break it, it's like the experience of going through that pressure or hearing these things and like question your purpose in the world or question your role, question your self-worth. It's lonely and it's isolating. And until we had spaces... (laughs) Like where we actually talk about these things and until we break the cycle, it's very easy to get caught up in that endless loop. And so, yeah, it is like that's, you know, not to toot our own horn, but this organization and like others like it and these posts by South Asian therapists, um, I think are just like they speak to our own specific journeys. And that's really dope. Obviously, I relate to all of uh, all of your stories in so many different ways, especially like the moments of like, oh, do you know how to make jaw? Do you, you have to make the best kind of jaw? Or like um, a couple years back, like my cousins came over and so they saw me like make ruti and they were like astonished as like how thin they were, how round they were. I was like, mashallah, my God, she's going to have like so many husbands like so many men like oh like wanting her ruti like oh my god oh my god and i'm like first of all that also sounds like an innuendo so it just it was a lot in itself but all all of those like i definitely relate to but now that like i always talk about them now since they are married but now that i have like a sister-in-law in my family like we both have these conversations almost every single day of how like something that she does is that she makes my brother accountable for his part which is something that I feel like our generation might end up doing because um she does cook for both of them but she has him like do some things here and there like maybe do the dishes or bring up these like ingredients and like wash them for us and like she tries to make both of them do work together in a way that it's not just all on her and it's not just all on him which I feel like is a nice balance there and I know that's a lot to say and a lot to ask and like you also have to find someone that's okay with that (laughs) it happens and like we should talk about that but one thing that I do want to ask you guys about because my sister-in-law and I had this conversation many times and she brought this perspective up which was really interesting and eye-opening but the whole idea that like aunties and uncles they come up to you and ask you like oh what do you know how to cook like do you know how to cook this that the other and you could say yes or no to it my sister-in-law told me that like it's also not just like a bad thing if you don't know how to do it but to your mom's um, side it could also seem like she failed as a mother in a way so I, w- I want to know what your perspective is on that after that because after my sister-in-law told me all, all that I was like huh because I feel like as a basic mother like it is something also taught as grooming that like oh my kid my daughter has to learn how to cook all of this for her husband and has to perpetuate in that cycle or else like I am not like I failed as a mother sort of thing so that was an interesting perspective that she gave me not that like it changed anything and like yes now I have to make a five course meal or anything like that but it just like opened my eyes to like maybe the only reason why she's 
upset isn't just because like oh I'm not equipped to be a wife but also just her insecurities and things that she's dealing with kind of sort of I don't know if that made sense I mean I, I just had one thought is at the end of the day even if it's someone you love and care about you you know in that situation your mom that is someone else outside of you right you, you you're kind of feeling this obligation like oh crap did I disappoint her and you're living for someone else and I think like along the way it's really easy to lose your sense of self and forget that it's okay if like the motivating factor is for you and so there's like a lot of like it ties into guilt right we have a lot of lot of pressure to like satisfy a lot of people for a lot of different patriarchal reasons um and that's part of this very intentional cycle, I think, because <laughs> it benefits people in power, right? And I think there's like this aspect of, especially I guess like if an in-laws, if in-laws are involved and we're under the same roof, um, if a guy, like, that example you were giving of like sharing the labor and like dividing, having that balance, I think there's a narrative of like, oh, you see, she made so-and-so do domestic quote you know quote domestic work and that's emasculating right and like that's also harmful yeah that that's just my general like kind of like response to that I, I feel like it's very easy so much of this is like generations and generations and like I think even the aunties for example who are saying or asking or having these expectations really do believe that this is for the best <laughs> um it's and I think maybe some of them, who knows, they don't have, harbor any ill will, but it's kind of taking away that autonomy and like you, it's, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to, at least for me, like to unlearn or like remember that it's okay to make choices for yourself and like just take a step back and think about, oh, why am I doing this again? Is it because of XYZ things? And it's not to say you can't be hospitable and you can't host and, like, be caring. And I think, like, caregiving is really important and a lot of us have, like, no choice but to play that role, right? Like, parents get sick or you need to take care of your siblings or your nephews' nieces. Um, you're often, like, a third or fourth parent. <laughs> so oftentimes, like, especially in, like, working class immigrant upbringings, you know, it, it, it's it's... Like we may not have a choice and you're kind of like stepping up to certain roles of service and of purpose um but on top of that when you add like these other questions of like oh like you know do you know how to make this oh no and then you start to kind of tear apart someone's self-worth that's when it becomes harmful I, I just think it's just so complicated it's very sad for me to say this and this is something that i've heard with my own ears when it comes to other people um to answer your question tasnova the phrase oh her mom didn't teach her well oh her mom is supposed to teach her how to cook her mom is supposed to teach her how to keep her room tidy and clean her mom is supposed to teach her how to raise children it's very common sadly so that's one part and then the other part is because in this culture right marriage is about two families right more so than two individuals. And I'm not saying this is always the case, but still to this day, there are many families who feel that, okay, well, I got my child married to this person, and that means that I now have a relationship with this, you know, my, my child's spouse's family, which is fine. It still happens today. And then when it does happen, there are a lot of things that are said, a lot of comments that are made about, and more so it's made about the, the wife right? Oh, the wife. I don't like this about the wife or I don't like that about the wife. Oh, she's too focused on her career. Oh, she's too, um, 
you know, she, her food doesn't taste great. It's all about what's not there. But what about the things that are there? Okay, well, she's really, she's a really eloquent speaker. She may not know how to cook Bengali food, but she can cook great American food. She can cook um, a mix of different cuisines. And again, this is something that I've noticed. There's a lot of, oh, can't do this. Um, doesn't know how to, wouldn't know how to. It goes back to the idea of service. How do you, how can you be a foundational family? How can you take care of the entire family? Most of our mothers, our grandmothers, growing up, they weren't, they weren't just responsible for their husbands, right? They were responsible for the entire family, extended family members. So they felt, you know, the, the, the idea of being selfless. And I think that's, that's a big theme in today's discussion is the idea of being selfless. It's so ingrained. I feel like it's ingrained in our DNA that we, that we feel obligated to be selfless, where we take on the weight of others. Because if we don't, we're labeled as, oh, in, you know, incompetent in housework and cooking and making tea and raising children. Personally, I do feel that we have a lot more resources and tools than our previous generations did. We have a voice. We can articulate our wants and needs. You know, being married now, I'm grateful enough to say that, yes, you know, a lot of the things I don't know how to do, I can learn. There's always an opportunity to learn. And I think people, you know, we all, you know, people often forget that, oh, this person may not know how to make the perfect tea or this person may not know how to make, you know, cook amazing Bengali food. We can teach her. We can help her. Right. She can learn as she goes along. And I'll be honest, I myself, I was not the best person to keep my room tidy. I did not know how to cook a lot of things. I just knew how to make tea, make omelets, and call it a day. But I will say that I've grown a lot because I wanted because I wanted those things for myself. I wanted to learn how to cook amazing food. Because my husband, he loves trying different foods. So I'm like, you know what? I wanna I wanna try to make something because I want to, right? Not because of someone else's expectations. So I think it's if we shift the language and if we shift the idea of can't do this, can't do that, and shift it towards, well, she can't, but she can learn how to, I think it will open up an entire new door for healthy relationships, stemming away from the patriarchy, and just having better mental health. Yeah, I think, I think the key word there is more so like if you desire that for yourself first, because, I mean... Yeah, sure, she can learn, but so can her spouse, so can their family members, right? Like, why does it have to just fall on her in the first place is, like, that's what's, like, in question. But absolutely, like, I I grew up in a household, uh, I have two brothers, I don't have any sisters, and my, both my, I grew up with both my parents cooking, cleaning constantly, like, I grew up in a household where everything was divided, like, equally in a way. Um, so fortunately I didn't have pressures of like having any sort of like grooming, but I did hear a lot of, well, you're reaching this age, what's going on? Like the clock is ticking, all of that, which I think we've definitely discussed in other podcasts. Um, but I think it all, it's all the same in, in, in this like framework of, it feels like there's no choice in the matter. It's unheard of for a Bengali woman to not be married. It's unheard of for a Bengali woman not to have children. Like these are things that there, if you tell an auntie, like they'd be like shocked. They think something's wrong with you, right? Like lots of judgment. So I, I do believe it is changing. I see it. I'm so grateful for that. And, and I'm hoping 
there are ways to navigate these conversations with the older generation. I mean, we, I can, luckily I can have that relationship with my parents. If they were to say something, I can sit them down and be like, do you, like, did you realize like what that really means? Like, for example, I think a lot of aunties are very, they project their obviously insecurities onto us, hence weight. I can go on about skin color, all of that bullshit. Like, it's like the colorism in our community is disgusting. Like, there's so much that they project onto others. And, you know, I literally, I will sit my mom down and be like, why would you ever want me to marry someone that is so obsessed with, like, my, my weight? Would you ever want that in a husband? Because my dad would never do that to my mom. And, like, that's how she gets it. Like, you have to, like, break it down. Like, oh, shit. Like, my daughter's got a point there, although she would never say it out loud, <laughs> but you could see it on her face. Like, yeah, like that's horrible. Like, why Why would I want anyone to go through something like that? So I know maybe a lot of people can't have a conversation with their parents like that. I'm, I'm a little bit closer to my parents, but I think, you know, there could be potential ways. And if not, the, like the there's another form of this how do I gain autonomy for myself? Like, how do I lessen the guilt? Because that guilt is so heavy and you shouldn't have to always carry it. I will say that, like, um, for sure that it is hard for other people might uh, have that conversation because I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm like, if I sat my parents down and said any of this to them, they just brush me off and say like what are you saying like shut up you don't know anything so like because like we're using logic like that is logic that a lot of our families at least my parents do not like hate like I've I could I could talk about all of my arguments I've had with them and I give reason logic and they don't understand I'm just saying that like for the listeners who um obviously can't have that conversation I'm sitting here thinking like how would I handle things like that and it's just to pick your battles and if it is strong enough that like you do know someone that is understanding of your boundaries that like you guys have talked about like how my siblings have talked about that they're gonna share and make meals together or figure out together and that they're worth it then obviously fight for that person with your parents but aside from that like little things like oh I don't really care to cook and if I want to cook I'll learn it when I need to because that's my mindset right now like I don't really care to learn to cook if I find a recipe on like Pinterest or like on social media on TikTok that uh, uh, uploads like two weeks later on Instagram because I don't have TikTok and I find it interesting I'll follow it and I'll do it because I want to that's my autonomy and I choose to and then the other thing is just because I don't know any daisy daisy meals doesn't mean that I don't know how to cook I know how to make pasta I know how to make like chili (laughs) like I can learn how to make food if I want to and another example is that um even if you're still living with your parents like recently my parents are gonna go to Bangladesh and so it'll just be me and my siblings all by ourselves in this house and so I'm like excited for that not just because like oh no parent parental like a guardian like obviously that's like a bonus but um (laughs) obviously but the other part is like I want to try and be independent I want to try and learn how to cook things that I want to the way that I want to because another aspect which I don't know if either any of you guys uh, uh, relate to at all but or if any of the listeners do but I also cannot cook with my mom because 
I don't know how uh, other Daisy moms do it, but my mom just like throws this in there, throws that in there, and she's like, just follow what I'm doing. And I'm like, is that like a tablespoon? Is that a teaspoon? Is that like, how much is that? Is that a dash? Like, I don't even know what a dash is. So I get super irritated. And I think my sister-in-law is like that too. Cause anytime that we have cooked, we follow the recipe. We see like three fourths, half, like we see numbers and we can like see what that is and do it and follow that. So I think that's what I'm excited for. So like little things like that, if your parents are like going out to hang out with a couple of friends and like, you can make yourself a quick lunch, like look, up a recipe and maybe learn on your own if not go out and eat food like you don't have to learn if you don't want to like it's up to you it's completely up to you but those are some ideas if anyone wants to know <laughs> I just want to put a I just want to put a quick disclaimer out there to my point earlier learning doesn't have to come from one person right learning can everybody is learning as when, you, when you're married into a family or you're married to your spouse, you're learning something new every day about that person. You're learning something new every day about the family, the family dynamics, the family patterns. So absolutely, right? It doesn't have to be you alone who's learning in the process, right? Your spouse can also learn that, you know, a lot about you. What does he or she like? What does he or she like to do on um, his or her own time? How can I be a better spouse, you know, working collectively, right? Going both ways. So I think most importantly, learning how to have a healthy relationship because that's really what matters at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, everybody is to themselves. But what's really there is the relationship between the two spouses. And that makes sense. And like just the relationships with yourself too, right? I was thinking about when you were talking about that conversation with your parents where you can sit them down and then when Desmopo was talking like I can't even imagine having that conversation and it's like <laughs> none of these things I think like at least from my experience has ever been like an overnight thing although with some exception when I tried to go away for college I was like this is what's happening <laughs> this is why I'm going <laughs> end of discussion it was probably like a two or three day conversation and I was lucky enough to have that space and um where my parents were supportive and like focused on school I think they wanted to have me be independent um and they're kind of like learning along the way too and in at least for my parents um I, I feel like they've changed so much from when I was a child like just kind of how they you know how my sister got married <laughs> was very different you know and I'm you know in my 30s mid 30s not married and um, we're just complete opposites like she knows how to cook the most amazing food like five course meal and every time I go visit I'm well fed you know <laughs> and um, and she enjoys doing that because it's just so second nature and in some ways like when you when you're eating what your parents are cooking for you like you kind of get like a sense of what things are supposed to taste like so even if one day like you're trying to make some meal um like you know what flavors are right or wrong and how to adjust accordingly but anyway I digress the point is that these conversations I think have to be like a process depending on what kind of conversation you're having um and just I think it takes at least for my parents like you know they have their lawyer daughter <laughs> who's like an aunt of 18 nephews and nieces who's like also like a caregiver who is also super confusing because she's not married and like she makes really good tea <laughs> and <laughs> and it's all very confusing and I think that's part of like the joy of breaking the cycle um because you 
can be like that model of like what could be that nobody dared imagine in the past and it is like such a process and like a journey and I think it's worth fighting for us and these specific journeys like being you know groomed and if you're like pushing back against that like it's just like worth the fight because you just learn end up learning so much about what you want versus don't want um because we just really do have like one life in that sense you know what I mean and we deserve like at least yeah I think we all deserve to live for ourselves and when you're navigating these spaces like main thing is to operate from a place of compassion and just like self-advocacy and just trusting your gut and compassion towards yourself more so right um you can't pour from an empty cup so you have to give yourself that grace you have to honor yourself you have to honor your needs and wants before you can honor others other people's needs and wants I'm learning that. It's been a process for me, personally, giving myself grace, giving myself compassion, giving, you know, um, incorporating self-advocacy, standing up for myself. And also, I think part of that is the way you talk to yourself, self-talk, you know, how you talk to others. You know, if you're if you're the one who's empowering others, encouraging others, right, why not do the same for yourself? And I've learned that when you're when you give yourself that compassion, Um, When you honor yourself, everything else just falls into place. Um, All your relationships just fall into place. And there's a great balance, right? There's a healthy balance there. Yeah, I moved out of my family home when I, like, shortly after I turned 30. And it was such a scandal. (laughs) Because, like, what? How does that even work? (laughs) And I've had to kind of, like, package very practical reasons, right? Like, my job is really, really far. (laughs) And I live in, like, an attic that's not conducive to, like, (laughs) um, like, a healthy space. And I need to be closer to work and, like... Because you're working nonstop and I need time to sleep and eat and all of that. Um, and that's like the practical reasons that I've used to make my argument to my parents. Like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. <laughs> but And it's harder to make the point because I think like oftentimes people don't get it. But like I've learned to find the vocabulary for it over time. Is it, It's an investment in my own mental health. Like I need this space so that I can be better to me and have more to give to others. Um, whether it's my clients, whether it's my parents, whether it's whoever, and just like be the best version of myself. Because what's the alternative is that I continue to struggle and continue to stretch myself thin. And like, I'm like just limiting myself and being drained and exhausted. And like, that's just such a disservice to my own self and to others at the same time. And so just I think like moving out for me as much of it is like still to this day, like a scandal. I think one of the best decisions I've made because it is for my own mental health and I feel like I just have the space to just pause and slow down and um just like be better to me and to other people because you know parents are getting older they require a lot more support and I'm trying to caregive from afar while also like setting boundaries and seeing them when I can knowing that like Yes, I have so many siblings, but it doesn't all have to fall on me, right? There's, like, other folks around and just kind of, like, tapping into that um, and not being the one person to 
shoulder all of that weight of responsibility and just being that quote good daughter <laughs> um who does everything you know because I just could not while living and commuting like two hours away and doing all of the things so I will always be the biggest advocate for South Asian women to move out of their parents house like that was the biggest scandal in my life as well when I told my parents during Ramadan at Iftar, like, listen, this is the plan. Unfortunately, my dad didn't speak to me like for a month, but then after I moved out, he came to see my place and he was so proud of me. Like that, like those moments happened, right? Like it's, it's definitely a process by no means is any of this easy and I'm sure like like our stories we've struggled in our own ways but it I think it also proves that how much it's just like so worth it at the end and this is more so also like obviously our personal stories so other people's lives could be a lot more challenging maybe even more dangerous to do something like that so for you know anyone out there obviously um do what you think is best in terms of your family environment your your household but if it's if it's a thought you had and you're, you've been thinking about it for a long time and, and not even just moving out with anything like if it's like if you want to play a sport like I feel like even like those things were frowned upon I always wanted to like I'm the least athletic person in the world but I always wanted to join a team and like that was like frowned upon because you had to like wear shorts or like something so ridiculous yeah. Oh my goodness. I've uh, always wanted to play soccer and it was yeah. the same thing, the shorts. And now I'm like, I can't. So silly. But you know, if it's something at like, if you're able to, especially financially, if you're able to be financially more so independent, I would always say, just go for it. What you think is the worst that can happen sometimes isn't the worst, right? Like it's not, it's never as bad as you think it would be. No, like I, I thank you all for, for sharing your stories and I hope the listeners enjoyed this podcast. We will link the South Asian therapist post on the bottom. Thanks y'all.